0: Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback, and if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. As we begin in Romans uh, chapter seven, we're gonna go up to verse 19. And here we see a really interesting uh, statement made by Paul. Uh, many times I have conversations with Christians and they'll quote this verse because I think it's a relatable verse. I think it's a verse we will all say uh, we, we can relate to in our lives. It's, it says this, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but practice the evil that I do not want to do. And so Paul keeps going over and over again in his... In uh, in this verse here, as he's writing this to the Romans, he's saying, I don't do the thing I want to do, and I do the thing I don't want to do. And have you ever found yourself in your life in, in a place where you keep kind of falling into the same routine of doing the thing you know you shouldn't do, and not doing the thing you should do? Right. And so we in in Christianity, we've come up with words for this. There's the sin of omission and the sin of commission. And basically the concept is there are things, you know, you should do, but you don't do them. So that's sin. And there are things that you shouldn't do, but you do them anyway. So you intentionally sin. And so both of them are sin. And sometimes in in church and, and if you grew up in a church that was very rules oriented, you just felt like, well, if I don't do all these don't do lists, I'm pretty good right? I'm good. But Paul says, no, it's not even just not about not doing the don'ts, it's really about doing the do's. Like, the things that God wants us to do is what he wants us to focus in, and he says it's so challenging. It's so challenging, and I think because of the fall, and because of sin, and because of our sinful natures, we are so drawn to do the things that we shouldn't do, right? Let's be honest for just a moment. Uh, If I were to walk through the campsites up here at the Daytona 500, I'm sure I would find a lot of things that I would say, that's questionable, (laughs) right? (laughs) Probably things you shouldn't be doing that are not beneficial, they're not helping. Actually, the sad thing is there are people making decisions, us, that we're making decisions, that have long-lasting effects in damaging relationships, damaging our bodies, damaging our souls in some ways, that we get scars that that take very long to heal. And so we recognize that we all have a, a desire to do the things we shouldn't do, and many times I think the real challenge is do you get up early in the morning and seek the Lord? Do you walk in the Spirit all day? I know I should, but do I? Right? I should be gracious. When that guy cuts me off in the road, I should say, praise the Lord. Right? When, when, when someone messes up on something that I think they shouldn't mess up on, do I have grace or do I have judgment? And I know what I should have, and we know what we should have, but we tend to lean into what our nature is. Right? And our nature is, Paul is saying it to us here, we do what we don't want to do, we do what we know we shouldn't do, and we don't do what we know we should do. And so that's the struggle. And all of us as Christians, even as believers, if you've confessed and believed, this is how Christ is redeeming and and, and really... Building us within ourselves is that he allows us to go these things to grow us mature us and to help us to become more like him And so Paul understands our struggle We're told in scripture that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted And so Jesus understands our struggle He never didn't do the thing he should so he was perfect But he does understand what it's like to be tempted not to do the right thing and so he can relate to us Uh, the biggest difference I see in a very religious church comparatively to a church that's hopefully gospel-centric is that a religious church is about rules and regulations and hopefully we're about a relationship that leads us to live the right way, right? We're not trying to obey the rules because the rules have been established. We're trying to obey the rules. We're trying to live the right way because we have a right relationship with God and He is leading us in that relationship To do the things that are right, right? And so it is relational, a father to a child. You know, if if my children wanted to learn how to ride a bicycle and, and the first time they tried, they fell over, I yelled at them and belittled them, how can't you ride your bicycle yet? And I had no patience with them, what kind of father would I be? How much more gracious and patient is our Heavenly Father with us? Right, And so he's letting us know through Paul, I get where you're at. I understand that you struggle with sin. That, that there's a, uh, uh, something within you that's leading you to do the things you know you shouldn't do. And you're not doing the things you know you should do. And so there's definitely a problem there, right? Romans 7, 7 through 8, here's what we're told. I would have not known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it was to covet If the law had not said, do not covet, and sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produces in the covenant uh, a covenant of every kind of coveting. Every kind of coveting. So if I could summarize this for you, Paul is saying, look, the law was put in place to show you how much of a lawbreaker you are. (laughs) Right? The law was not put in place for you to be able to say, I am obeying all of the law. Because it is impossible for us to obey all of law outside of the Holy Spirit of God. On our own ability, we cannot obey the law. But the law wasn't put there. It was put there to help us to understand that we are lawbreakers. And Paul is saying this, I wouldn't have even known there's a law about coveting. Coveting is wanting what you don't have, right? And so when we were down in the Keys, I saw really nice trucks and I saw really nice boats and all of these things. I said, wow, that would be nice to have. And you can get to a place where you're, before you go to sleep, you're thinking, man, if only I had this. If I only had my friends, fill in the blank, right? Whatever they have that you want. Whatever that thing is on television. Whatever that thing is that your nephew, your niece, your your brother, your sister, whatever. That thing that we covet. We covet things. Relationships. Stuff. We're covetous. But you know, in our natural state, we may not know that God doesn't like that until he reveals it through his law. That, and not only does he reveal to us law that that is a sin, he's saying, look at all the variety of ways you can do this sin. Right? And so Paul, he's, he's making it clear for all of us, look, there are so many ways in this life that can distract us from God. There are so many things that, that are challenging. And if we don't recognize the importance of seeking after the Lord in a relational way, we will never be able to overcome these challenges because the law is not, was not given to us for us to conquer the law you can't conquer it there's not a single person in here listen if you tell a single lie what are you just one so you wouldn't say if you committed one murder you weren't a, murder, you weren't a murderer right one of them makes you it and so a single sin has, has cursed and has saturated and has stained you eternally That's why we need a Savior. That's why the Lord is so important. That's why the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us is what we're called to focus on. So once you're aware of sin, you can't ignore it. You've been in this room. Guess what? All of us are accountable for sin because we know about it. We know it exists. We know that all the problems of the world, whether it's all of the the divisiveness, whether it's uh, the evils that we see where people abuse other people, uh, where they're stealing and lying and cheating, and all the evils of this world, we know the core of all of them is sin. And we know that sin lives within us. And we know that sin has distorted everything around us. And when we watch television and, and we see what's going on in the world around us, we see the impact of sin in the world. And we know that sin leads where? It leads to death. And so we cannot say I'm ignorant of what sin is. Why is the world messy? Because of sin. I'm not ignorant of that. I'm not ignorant of the fact that sin lives within me, that I've committed sin. And so I can't stand to the side and say, well, I didn't know about it, because we all know about it. And so what will we do? How will we live? Paul gets to the point that I think all of us need to get to in our lives. We all need to get to this place, because this is really, it's, it's the place of the new birth, It says in Romans 7, 24, this is what Paul says about himself in this state. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I would say the goal for any human being is to get to the place where they recognize sin this way. Because I truly believe you cannot confess and believe in Jesus as your Savior until you recognize the wretchedness of yourself. That the sin has has distorted me to a place where I am so desperate for God and his forgiveness and freedom from sin. And so we see the problem. It's clear. We see the issue. It's out there. Paul is revealing this to us, that there are challenges every single day from the moment we wake up. We have, none of us in this room have ever experienced a day without sin. You've never experienced a minute without sin. There's sin around us right now. Our flesh is, is, is striving within us at this moment. We live in a world where there's principalities and powers that are sinful and dark. And they're orchestrating things all around us all the time. We don't know what absolute holiness looks like yet. And so how do we deal with that problem? How do we deal with the day-to-day challenges that arise? Well, Paul gives us some insight. Because it can seem hopeless. It can seem very hopeless, right? How many people are hopeless today? How many people have you heard of, you know of, that are in just a despair because they thought life was going to be different, they thought things were going to work out, they thought that this was the answer, and they've gone as far as they can down that path, and at the end of the path, they find themselves at nothingness, and it's hopeless. It's a hopeless existence. When a person realizes they're a wretch, this life is broken, they can come to one of two conclusions. Either this is the great tragedy, our existence, or there's an answer to this tragedy. And I hope this morning you've come to the, re- uh, the understanding that there's an answer to this tragedy. There is hope in the midst of a very dark and messy world. And it is a day-to-day hope, and it's an eternal hope. Romans 7, 4 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you were also put to death in relation to the law. Through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another. You're not belonging to the law anymore. Now you're belonging to the Father, to the, to the Savior. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. And so Paul, and through the Holy Spirit, is revealing to every one of us in this room, every day is going to be challenging Every day is going to have the the hurdle of sin in it. But you have been put to death to that sin. That sin no longer reigns in your life. That sin no longer is the thing that guides you. That sin is no longer the north star to your compass. That sin has been dealt with and it is no longer there. So now on a day-to-day basis, your eternity has been set free through Christ on the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection, but your day-to-day life has been set free. Your daily life now can be overcome just like a wedding couple and the day-to-day living, learning how to be in relationship with each other. We learn to be in relationship with God. I learn what God loves. I learn how to have a a healthy relationship with God so then he can manifest himself in my life. He can show himself in my life. He can show his love to others. He can teach me new things. We're gathered right now so that we can become more like him. So that we can define in our hearts that we know that sin is the problem, but the gospel is the solution. And sin has been put to death on the cross. And it has been buried in the grave. And it is gone to be never looked at again in the eyes of our Father. Amen. And so as we begin each and every day, we need to recognize that we have been freed from death unto life. We've been freed from death Unto life And it says a very interesting thing here At the end of the verse uh, Verse 4 You belong to him now so you're not your own He was raised from the dead In order that we may What? Bear fruit You know one of the things that When I was in the keys is just the beauty of Creation the beauty of all the different Types of plants and the flowers And just the beauty of being there And you know you've been places where it's just beautiful because you see these beautiful trees and and you sense the beauty of it. And then you go to places that are are just rock, right? Or a desert. A desert can be beautiful at times. But it also can be dreary. And it can be um, a place of death. And here we're told that the spiritual fruit that God wants to create within us is the purpose of us raising with him. That that fruit would become part of who we are. That when you walk into the room, you're bringing a fresh essence of the Lord into that room because he is the one guiding you. Have you ever thought of that before? That every day is an opportunity to reveal the fruit of God to people. To feel his beauty, his kindness, his love, his grace, his patience. That when you go into the room, when you go into their life, you are the one God has has showed Himself to so that you can show to them so they can become part of that garden as well. How much in our hearts do we desire to allow the fruit of God to grow and become what it is created to be? How can we produce this fruit? How can you and I, if, the, if what we're called to do is be the bride of Christ, prepare ourselves for his return, in doing so have a day-to-day relationship with him, what then does that mean in our lives? How can we live this out? I would encourage you with these applications. First, I would say you can't have any fruit in your life until you repent and believe. The seed must be germinated by the gospel. Amen? Amen. It is a dead seed. If it is never germinated, if it is never uh, brought to life, if it is never allowed to produce any kind of roots or any system, it's just a dead seed. It must have the Holy Spirit of God penetrated and become, in essence, its center. And in doing so, in doing so, you become alive, you become twice born. Uh, everyone is born in, in a sense of deadness spiritually, a dead seed, until the Holy Spirit comes. It makes it alive. And so for you to have any fruit in your life, for you to have any fruit at all, for anyone you know to have fruit in their life, for anyone anywhere to have fruit in their life, they must first repent and believe. Why? Because it's only by what Christ did on the cross that any life can be brought. It is his death On the cross, it is burial in a tomb, and it is resurrection that empowers the growth of life spiritually for any of us. And so you must begin there. If you haven't started there, start there. And if you have made that decision, put that on your heart regularly. Remind yourself, I've repented and believed. I've put my trust in the Lord. Sometimes we we get discouraged because we see the world and, and we think about all the horrible things that are happening around us. At that moment, you should say, I'm saved. I have been set free. I am alive in Christ. I'm part of the answer, not part of the problem anymore. I'm part of the solution. You put uh, sin in the cross, you get this solution. We're the solution. And that's us today. And I think the second thing is to accept the freedom in Christ. That now you've been set free from a world that's, that's always looking at you and saying, what are you going to do? 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 do? Who are you going to be? What are you going to get? Right? Right? Do you realize how much we are humans doing instead of humans being? Have you ever thought about that? When you meet someone, you get to know their name, say, hello, my name's Mike, what's yours? What's the next question you actually usually ask? What do, do? what do you do? You're a doer. You are identified by what you do, instead of, who are you? Have you ever said, the well, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Who are you? I'm a child of the king. I've been born alive in Christ. I'm a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am no longer on a a path to hell. I'm on a path to heaven. I have been set free from the bondage of sin, the consequence of of sin and death. I've been set free to live for the Lord every day of my life. That's who I am. And because of who I am, I do what I do. The world gets it backwards. They want you to talk about what you do, but guess what you do doesn't last very long. If you're a doctor, you're not going to be a doctor. A hundred years from now. Even if, whatever that identification you use of what you do, it is still limited to this life. It is a limiting thing. And so I want, I think it's important for us to accept and to embrace the freedom that we've been set free from having to be doers to become part of the body of Christ. To be freed, to be part of that family, to have something greater than just a, a... you know something in front of our name, some placeholder, some some very uh, short-lived identification as a job or a, a position. Accept your freedom today. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let the enemy tell you that you are not free in Christ. Remind yourself, if you have those thoughts, if those thoughts come through your brain and it says you are nothing and, and you're, you haven't achieved anything and, and, and you, you look at all this waste that you have, remind. Uh, no, I'm, I'm part of the, the king is, is my dad. I'm, I'm part of the kingdom. I'm headed to the kingdom. Uh, everything in my life is his. He has full responsibility for it then. I'm just going to be faithfully following him wherever he leads me and he gets the glory, not me. It's so freeing. I no longer have to be the Lord of my own life. Do you know how great it is to not have to be the Lord of your own life? And finally, I think the life application here is this. Pursue the kingdom daily. If the kingdom is where we're headed, if the kingdom is what Christ came to establish, how do we... How do we participate in that kingdom daily? How do we show that our allegiance is to the kingdom? How do we show that we're truly citizens of the king? Well, I would say on a daily basis, seek the Lord in prayer. This is one of those things we talk about, but you know the number one thing even pastors say to me is they don't really know how to pray. I, don't, I haven't really made it a priority. It's not really part of who I am. Prayer can be one of the most struggling things for most Christians. How do I pray? When do I pray? What do I pray? Seek those answers. Struggle with that. Allow that to be something that you pursue with a passion and see what God does. Don't dismiss it and say, it's too hard. I didn't, didn't work out. I give up on it. Don't ever give up on prayer. If you're going to give up on something, give up on sugar. <laughs> Don't give up on prayer. Because prayer is the power. It's the connection. It is the tool that God has given us to have this beautiful relationship, this powerful, meaningful relationship with him. Next, I would say find friends that believe. Find believers. You know, it is so hard because we live in a world where so many don't believe. So many resist. So many have other things that they worship, other saviors, other beliefs that have taken them away from Jesus. Yes, we are to love, and yes, we are to be kind, and yes, we are to encourage and point them to Christ, but you need close friends. You need people you can trust. You need people that celebrate when something good happens in your life and cry when something bad happens in your life. You need friends. I need friends. We need brothers and sisters in our lives that walk alongside us through this life. We need a community. We need a place to belong. If you want to be part of the kingdom, you got to get to know other people in the kingdom. They're not going to be perfect. But guess what? None of us are perfect. And the more we can show grace and celebrate them and, and find the good in each other and learn to be quick to forgive and slow to anger, quick to listen and slow to speak, this is how we build those deep, meaningful friendships that God desires for us to have. Listen to his word. Study God's word. He's given us his word. People say, well, I I want to hear from God. Well, just open up and read out loud the Bible and you'll hear his word out loud. He'll be speaking to you. We have his word. He's given it to us. He wants us to saturate our lives with it. He wants us to know it. He wants it to be a valuable part of our day. What is more important, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or reading God's word three times a day? What could you live without? What is more powerful and meaningful to you? You see, because yes, we need food to survive. Absolutely. But Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone. But where? From every word that precedes the mouth of God. You live much more from God's word than you do from any of the calories you take in from earthly food. And he is allowing even those who deny him to live because he's a loving and gracious God. Next, I would say serving, because the best way to deal with, with selfishness and greed is to be generous and serve people. It breaks that hold in your life. When you give things away, you learn that what you have, uh, you can live on a lot less. It doesn't, it's not that important. When you're generous with all of your things, generous with your time, your energy, your effort, when you learn to be a servant of others, see, Jesus said, I didn't come to serve I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to learn to serve one another. Serving is at the essence of being a follower of Christ. Serving is one of the distinct things he told us we must do as part of his kingdom. How are you serving others? This is how we build a healthy relationship with God, is we intentionally calendar serving. I intentionally put on my plate that I'm going to serve others. We're going to be going to Hope Place to serve. It's a homeless shelter. We're going to serve. Not because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Not because it puts us in a place where we think we're better than others. It's because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll serve. My kingdom serves and doesn't expect anything in return. Doesn't try to manipulate people. Doesn't try to get something from people. But actually tries to give as much as possible to others. Serving is part of the kingdom. And finally, sharing. What is the most important thing we can share? Is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. For all of these people that are going to visit, and and I, I think we need to reach as many people as we can, but you know who you need to reach also? The people in your life. Your friends, your family, those that know you best. They need to hear the gospel come from your mouth, and they need to see the gospel come from your life. And you're not going to be perfect, you're going to stumble and admit it. Look, I want to be like Christ, but I, like Paul, do the things I know I shouldn't do and don't do the things I know I should do. I struggle in this because I still have a sin nature. I still have sin in me. But one day that's all going to be resolved, and my desire is today to let the Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. And I pray that that's your prayer as well. And so we have this immense task in front of us, but it's an awesome task. You ever had a job that you hated, you didn't want to do? And you try to give someone else the job, or you try to get out of doing that job, and that's not this. This is a job that's worth every ounce of who you are. This opportunity is the greatest, like, (laughs) you know, you go and they say, hey, I got a timeshare for you, or I got something special for you, and they have all this sales pitch, and I know they're trying to make money, and that's what they do, but those things tend to take a little bit more than they give. This will give much more than it takes. This opportunity that we're given to serve the kingdom, to be part of the kingdom, to be the bride of Christ, to live for the Lord. What Romans 7 is telling to us is that we, even though we struggle, we battle every day, every day, every minute can be glorious. Every minute can be holy. Every minute can be submitted to God, to Christ and his glory. That every day is an opportunity to say, I love Jesus some more. Every day. And when you begin to look at life that way, some of that stuff that's been saturating your mind, keeping you up at night, giving you anxiety, giving you stress, it dissolves. Because this is what you were created for. This list of things is what I'm created to do and be, to be a healthy believer in Christ. And so this morning, as we look at Romans chapter seven, a letter that was written to a different group of people who spoke a different language 2,000 years ago. It was written for them, but the Holy Spirit also put your name on it. Not our name, your name. He said, I want you to listen to this. I have a letter directly for you. I know that you struggle in different areas, it's okay. Focus on me. Commit your heart to me. Continue. Get back. If you fail, get back up. And when you get up, walk towards me. Never stop walking towards me.